This summer, we've been learning about one thing and about one thing only, and that's grace. Uh, You're wondering maybe what grace is. Grace is when God gives to us something good and we don't deserve it. Now, you may be wondering what is it that we don't deserve, and that is we don't deserve God's love, and we don't deserve God's unconditional kindness to us. You know, there's some people that just don't uh, understand that, that God would love us and God accepts us, and we don't have to do anything to really um, prompt that. There are Christians in this room that hold that with a, a bit of skepticism, and you've lived your Christian life now trusting in Jesus, but also trusting in some of your, your human effort, because it's really hard for us as humans to believe that God would give us something really for nothing. But that's grace. Uh, that's God's nature. That's what He does. He can accept you. He can love you with, without cause. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to us like this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God showed how much he loved us by having Christ die for us, even though we were sinful. Even though God shouldn't love us because we have this thing called sin within us, God says, I'm going to love you anyway, and I'm going to show you that love primarily through my son Jesus, whom we call Christ here. And he's not waiting on you. Uh, He's not waiting on you to show him love first. He's not waiting for you to say, God, I I accept you and I love you and now, now you can love me. No, God says, I've already shown you, I've already told you that I love you and now he's waiting on, he's waiting on you. When Kelly and I were, were dating and I knew that it was becoming something more, you know, like those feelings start to get in you and you can feel like the butterflies and, and you know it's not the Taco Bell that you had on the date. And, and so you're thinking, okay, I've never really expressed my heart to her, but now I know is the time to express my heart, but I just have this fear of how she'll respond. So I remember one starry night, we held hands and, you know, I had my arms around her and I just finally said, hey, baby, I love you. And you know what she said? That's nice. <laughs> no, that's not what she said. You know better than that. She didn't say that. That would have been cold, right? No, she finally knew where I, where I was. In the real, I defined it. I love you. I accept you. And you know what she said back? I love you too. Because it's easy to love somebody when you know where they stand. It's easy. to You can be at peace. You can be at rest with someone when you know. I, know. I know where I'm at with them. I know my status. And you know what the status is? Your status is with God? He loves you and he accepts you. You don't need to worry about what he thinks about you right now. He loves and accepts you. You're his kid. He's created you. And now it's time for you to make a decision based on that. And that's the, one of the wonderful things about grace is that you get to decide if you want that grace or not. You get to decide if you want to acknowledge God's acknowledgement that he loves and accepts you. You really have two choices in doing that. You can reject that, and you say, God, I don't want anything to do with it. You can accept it. Uh, May may I tell you, though, that if you reject God's love, he's still going to love you. That's grace. And if you accept God's love, he's still going to love you. And let me just kind of explain to you, like, if you have rejected God's love, let me me just tell you how God is patient with you. Uh, Second Peter says, God is patient. Because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. He's like the father waiting for the prodigal to return to him. If you haven't, if you haven't received Jesus, he's just waiting on you to come to him and acknowledge that he loves and accepts you. And let me tell you something. If you've rejected God, though, you've got a big problem. 
He may love you and accept you, but you got a, you got a big problem. I've dealt with that problem, and many in this room have dealt with that problem, but it's a sin problem. It's, it's this, this thing that we've done in life where we've committed spiritual crimes, and it's removed, us, it's removed us from God. It hasn't allowed us to have access with God, and this is a big problem because if we continue along in this sin problem and we don't, we don't receive God's grace in it, then we're going to have to pay. We're going to have to pay to get out of this, this sin problem. Let me tell you something, there's, there's a big problem if you die with the problem, if you die with the sin problem. And here's the problem, God and sin can't be in the same room with one another. That's a, that's a problem. So if you want to live with God, but you die in your sin, God and sin can't be in the same room, so you're not going to be able to, to be in the room of heaven with God. And here's what the Bible teaches us, it says, every, for everyone has sinned. Like everyone, Tom said, is, is anyone perfect in here? Everyone just chuckled at that, right? And I'm assuming that chuckle meant no, right? So for everyone has sinned and all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. And you're saying, well, what is God's glorious standard? It's 100% perfection. And I'm not that. And I would say that you're not that. And you can't connect with a God that is that when you are not that. Sin bounces us out of the room of heaven. And you know what the Bible tells us? If you, if you're, if you have one sin in your life, you are deemed a sinner. Just like if you've committed one murder in your life, you are a murderer. And if you've told one lie in your life, you are a, a liar. And that's why one sin or a million sins, every single person is in need of a Savior. And I'm here to tell you that God has solved that sin problem for you because you couldn't and I couldn't and we couldn't get back to perfection. Our sin has bounced us out of heaven. So God sent us Jesus. Now listen to this. This is remarkable. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 says, he sent us his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. Uh, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus, who is 100% perfect, laid down his life for all of us who are not perfect, who have sinned and have created a problem. And I like what 2 Corinthians has to say about Jesus. For God made Christ who never sinned, he's perfect, to be the offering for our sins. He paid something for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You know what that's telling us? When you accept Jesus, you accept that God accepts you and God loves you. When you accept Jesus, you're now accepting, God, I recognize you accept me and I love you. You said you love me, and now I'm saying I love you too. When you accept God, he makes you right. And I know you don't feel right, and I know that you know yourself well, and you go, I'm not right. God, God though, sees you as right. That is called a righteousness. God brings righteousness to your life. And Jesus covers your sins, and he's paid your sin debt. But you know, when you reject Jesus, you're telling God that you'll pay the price for your own sin. Did you catch that? When you reject Jesus, you're saying, I'll pay the price for my sin. The wages of sin is death. And you're saying, God, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to receive Christ's payment that he paid for, I'm just gonna go and pay my own, pay for my own sins. We're told that the price that we pay for our sins is the price that we have to pay in hell. I know a lot of you think that, that hell is a place where God sends people who he is mad at. That's not true. Hell is a place where people go and pay for their sins 
if they want to. It's like the BMV, right? You go and you pay for something and you go, oh, this is terrible, this is miserable. That God says, that's where you're gonna go to hell. You're gonna have to pay for your sins in hell. Now here's the catch 22 about it. Unlike the BMV, you can't leave it. You stay. And so you're stuck in your sins and you can't be connected with a God who's perfect because you're imperfect. Do you see the problem with rejecting God's acceptance and love of you? You're gonna have to pay for your own sins in that place called hell. And you'll never be able to cast those sins off because God and sin can't be in the same room with each other. And when you reject Jesus, you reject God's love and acceptance in your life. And for those of you who have chose to accept Jesus, you've allowed Jesus to be the one who has paid for your sins. You've allowed him to pay the price for you. You're trusting him and you're saying, God, I recognize that what Jesus did on the cross is all that's needing to be done for my salvation. I don't need to pay anything more into it. I don't have to have any more human effort. Jesus, you paid the full price. A couple weeks ago, I was at a restaurant, and when the waiter came to me, he said, your bill has been paid for. That's a great feeling, right? And I, I thought, well, well, who paid for it? Because if I knew who paid for it, I would have brought my kids, right? That's great. We would have just had a big old family reunion right there. Praise God. But there's something not right about that when someone pays for your meal anonymously and you don't know who it is because you're sitting there thinking, they paid for this, but I was served the meal. I ate it. They didn't eat it. And there's just something not right that just doesn't seem right when we say, Jesus paid the price for our sins, I committed them, but he paid the price for them. And yet he steps in, he says, I'll, I'll pay the bill. Now for you who have accepted Christ and you've said, pay the bill, thank you for paying the bill. Many of us, what we've done as Christians is we've allowed him to pay the bill, but we truly don't believe that he's paid it in full. And like somehow we're like paying, we, we think maybe he left a couple dollars short. And so we think we have to pick up the bill and kind of pay it off as we go through our own human efforts. Now, how many of you, if you discovered someone paid your bill at the restaurant, would go ahead and pay the bill anyway? None of us would do that. I think we would be called foolish for doing that. But many Christians, we try to earn our way up to heaven and say, Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. It just didn't pay off the full sin debt that I owe. And so we've got to do something more. And God says, no, would you just rest because that thinking is ridiculous. Rest that what Jesus did on the cross was very costly and it paid off your sin debt in full and just rest in that rather than, than just trying to earn God's favor constantly. Like have you ever seen a hamster running in their hamster wheel cage? You ever seen that? They put in all this effort but they're going absolutely nowhere. God doesn't want that for his kids. He doesn't want you to put in a ton of effort and go absolutely nowhere. He doesn't want you to be doing all these things in the name of Jesus, thinking that that's gonna earn your salvation because that's going nowhere. He wants you to do all these wonderful things in the name of Jesus because you love him and you're responding in obedience because of what he's done for you. He's told you he loves you. And now you're responding back by saying, God, Jesus, I love you too. And man, when you get to that point in your faith, that's a liberating place. When you recognize that you don't have to earn God's love, that you don't have to do anything to receive God's love but to receive Jesus, friends, that is absolutely liberating. And all this summer, that's what we've been wanting for you, just to stand back and rest in God's grace. Because when you rest in God's grace, it changes the way in which you live your life. It changes the way in which you see your, your acts of serving. 
You don't just serve because you're trying to get some kind of guilt off of your back. You're not serving because there's been some kind of plea on the announcements to serve in the children's ministry. You're not serving because you're like, well, someone needs to serve. No, you're serving because you recognize how far God has taken you, how he's paid for your sins. You're saying, God, I love you, and I want to show you my love by serving. It changes your motivation as to the reason why you obey God and his lofty standards found in his word. You're not obeying because now you ought to or because you have to. You're obeying because you, you want to. It changes your complete mindset when you fall into this liberating place of grace in your faith. And you're recognizing, I'm not doing these things to earn God's love. I'm doing these things to show God my love to him. Friends, that's a great place to be. That's where we want you to be, is in a, in a great grace place so that you can serve the Lord out of love, so that you can obey, obey the Lord out of love. And you can see why a pastor would get awfully frustrated if he watched his congregation come to that liberating grace and resting in God's grace only to go back to human effort to say Jesus didn't pay enough. Jesus didn't do enough and I've got to do a little bit more. See, that's where the Apostle Paul was. We've been in this little letter in the New Testament scriptures this summer, the book of Galatians. Turn with me there. The Apostle Paul is the founding pastor of these four churches in an area called Galatia. And he's frustrated because he watched Christians be liberated from their sins by Christ and grace only to watch them leave grace and reshackle themselves to human effort. And they just looked at the cross and said, Jesus, thanks for paying, but you didn't pay at all. I've got to do some extra stuff. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 1 together. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then he says, Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So what Christ has done was he has freed us. He has freed you from thinking that you've got to do more to earn God's, earn God's love. And I'm here to tell you, you can't earn what you already have. You've already got God's love. You've already got God's acceptance in your life. And so Paul uses this like real strict military command. And the command is stand firm. It's, the, uh, it's like our saying of hold the line. And he's using this in military language because he knows that Satan's going to come. The enemy's going to come. And he's going to start giving you thoughts of retreat. Like thoughts of retreat to go back to your old way of thinking that you've got to do more for God to love you. That Jesus didn't pay the full amount. So you've got to go to rule keeping. You've got to go to rituals. You've got to go to some kind of religious process. And Paul says, no, stand firm. Concrete your faith in Christ for salvation, not yourself. And so he's saying, don't be burdened in your faith any longer. Don't be burdened that you're not doing enough. Don't be, don't be burdened that you're, you're, you don't feel like you're living up to God's standards Stand firm that when you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, when you gave your life over to Christ, he forgave you and he accepts you and he loves you. Stand firm that Jesus has saved you. Let that be the confidence of your salvation, what Christ has done for you. Look at verse two. He goes on to say, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. You know, the Galatians had falsely believed that if they did the physical act of circumcision, then they would be saved by God. It would be kind of like um, a rite of passion for them. 
They believe that their, their belief should be shown through the action of circumcision. You're saying that's crazy, but that's exactly what God had asked of his children before Jesus came on the scene. God said, any follower of mine must be circumcised. So they went all the way back, years before Jesus, and they said, see, that's what God said, and so that's what we must do for God to love us and to honor God. And Paul says, no, you don't need to do things like that anymore. That's rule keeping, that's rituals, that's tradition. You need to accept Jesus and you need to put your full trust into him. And Paul's telling those early Christians and Paul's telling us rule keeping and rituals, man, that doesn't save you from your sins. Actually, that devalues the cross of Christ. It devalues the cross of Christ because what you're saying is Jesus didn't pay enough. Jesus didn't really pay the bill in full for your sins and you've got to kind of make up the tab in some way. And you know what that thinking leads to? It leads to this this place of self-righteousness where you really believe that the things that you are doing are making you right rather than what Christ has done for you has made you right. And self-righteousness is based on works and it condemns us. And true righteousness is paid for by Jesus Christ and it's free for us. It costs Christ something, but it's free for us. I'll tell you what, the hardest people to reach in the church are not the people who are bad. Bad people... No, they're bad. They don't have a defense. You know the hardest people to reach in our community and in the church? Self-righteous people. People who think they have it all together. People who think that what they're doing is pleasing God and people who think that what they're doing is leading them to salvation. Self-righteous behavior, self-righteous acts, self-righteous thinking devalue the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what Paul's teaching us. Look at verse seven and jump down from Verse 2, go to verse 7 of chapter 5. Paul says, you were running a good race. You, who cut in on you? Who cut in, you, cut, cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? I love Paul because what he does is he oftentimes goes back to athletic language and he says, listen, as a runner, you're going to have to run with perseverance. You're going to have to run with diligence and discipline. But you're, you're also going to have to run with some direction. You're going to have to run with some direction. The finish line is not just anywhere. It's a specific place. And Paul's telling them that you, you guys have lost. You guys have lost your way. You've lost your direction. You've lost sight of, of God's grace. And they had, they had left the pathway of grace, and they went on this path of self-righteousness. And they were fooled. They were fooled by some teachers that came in to the church, and they told them that you've got to do more, that God's grace isn't enough, that you're going to have to do some human effort here, that Jesus didn't pay the price totally on the cross, and that you've got to add, you've got to add some money to your grace account a little bit. And so they came in, they said, you need, to, you need to start acting better. You need to start living better. You need to start having better behavior. Friends, you're never going to get better behavior on your own account. Some of you guys came from a church of the church of good behavior. Some of you guys came from this kind of place where the preacher got up every, every Sunday and he preached a sermon that basically went like this. Stop it. Behave. You better stop it. Otherwise, you're going, you're going to go to hell. And the only thing that stopped you from doing was, was going to church the next Sunday because you're thinking, I want to stop it. I just don't know how to stop it. And what they taught you was that Christianity only leads to good behavior. And, and if, if you had good behavior, then you could really be a Christian. But Christianity is not just learning about good behavior. Christianity is about a, a transformation and friends, that good behavior is never going to come unless there's a transformation on the inside of your heart. 
Christianity is about what God's doing here inwardly so that the things inwardly will change the things you do outwardly. It's about God doing a miracle in your life. And you can't just know about grace and change your behavior. You're going to have to experience grace and welcome Christ into your life. And then that transformation of good behavior will come. You'll never be in control of the things that are controlling you until you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Can I, say, can I say that again? Because some of you in this room, you're like holding off, giving your life to Christ until you get some things in your life under control. But you'll never control the things that are controlling you until you allow the transforming power of Jesus into your life. It's just never going to happen. And we, we've been desperate all summer to tell you that, that about, about grace, about not giving up on God. Because we don't want you to go back to the sins that God has rescued you from. We want you to experience grace and allow that to change the way in which you, you obey God, the way you love God, and the way you serve others and serve the Lord. Let me tell you something beautiful about grace. Grace is free. Grace is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You know, there's too many Christians in this room, even now, that, that, have, that have believed and, and have even taught other believers to follow rules and rituals so that God will love you more. And when you follow rules and rituals, you know what that is? That leads us to self-righteousness, which puts us in a place of religion. And this is religion. Religion is the rules and the rituals that you do that weigh you down and hold you back, really, from having a relationship with God. You see, some of you have taught, some of you have been believed that if you do rules and rituals, that will lead you to God. But in actuality, it weighs you down and keeps you from really having a relationship with God. So our, our principle has been all this summer is you just got to break up with religion, like no more, and then begin a relationship with God through Jesus. Just, just break up with God. Hey, it was good and all. It's, it's not you. It's me. We're done. It's over. I, I love God. Not, not the rituals, not, not the rules. God, when he does the transforming power in me, is gonna, it's gonna make up all those other things. I, I'm gonna be obedient. I'm gonna serve others. I don't need rules anymore. I, 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 I go by the, the law of love, loving God and loving people. And here's the wonderful thing about grace. It's free, but let me tell you something. It may be free, but God knows it was, it was costly. He had to give up his perfect son. So Jesus died for our sins. That sin that we had cost Jesus his entire life. And here's how the Bible puts it. It says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Like, you don't need to keep on being rebaptized. I mean, that, one, that Christ suffered once sin for all time. You believe in that? You, that? That's a done deal. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He, he, he suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. You see, Jesus suffered so that you could be saved. And I think sometimes we just forget. We just forget about the costliness of grace that's given to us freely. That God had to sit back with idle hands and say, I, I'm not going to spare my son from this horrific death. I'm going to allow him to go through that agony. I'm going to allow him to go through that pain because that agony, that pain, that death is going to accomplish something in people like us who are imperfect. You know, I, I remember when my, my kid, William, was... Uh, about two years old, and the dentist had said to us he had to cap the back of his teeth, and so we had to set up appointment, and they had to do kind of a, a more specialized thing in a specialized room, and Kelly and I weren't allowed to go back into that room, and he's about two years old, and he doesn't know what's going on, and we found out later that um, 
the, the, the medicine he was supposed to take to kind of make him drowsy and, and so that they could do the work a little bit easier. He, he, he went to swallow it and then in his anger spit it back out at the dentist, which I think is like super cool and rebellious, but I didn't tell him then. <laughs> like, I don't need this, right? Here, you, you, I'm doing this without the whiskey right now, okay? Uh, it, that didn't work out very well because what they did is they wrapped him up in a Velcro blanket. And so we're... Uh, they're doing this procedure, and you can hear like the drills and the stuff going on. You can also hear the screams of my kid throughout the entire office. And it wasn't anything we were embarrassed of. We were sickened by it. Like our hearts were just ripped out by it. There was a couple times where I got up, and Kelly had to pull me back down because I was going to go in there and just say, we're done. We're just ending this. As he's yelling, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, just screaming in agony and couldn't figure out what was going on. And our hearts were literally ripped out. And I had to remember and come to my senses that the things that he's going through, the agony that he's going through is actually going actually to bring for him something greater. I just had to trust what was going on. You know, I think about God as he just sat there and he watched the agony of his son and he just didn't spare him. He allowed that to go on as he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he's crying for dad and dad sits there and says, I know, but the agony is gonna bring something better. See, grace is so costly and yet it's free. And so anytime that you say, I need to do more for salvation, God says, you don't have to do anything more. I've paid the price. This is costly. It is so costly that you've forgotten about it. That's why you think you have to do more. Grace is a free gift, but it costs God a whole lot. It might be free, but it's not cheap. Grace is, re- is received by faith. That's something you need to know. It's received by faith. You know, faith, is, it, faith is, isn't just a belief. Faith is a trust. It's putting a trust into your belief. It's, it's acting out on the knowledge of something, doing, demonstrating an action step, doing something. You know, Jesus had these stories in the Bible. They're called parables. Um, that confirm to us that when you have faith and you have belief, you will be saved. When you have, when you have belief and faith, you will, be, you will be saved. He had this real quick parable about a man that had discovered a treasure in a field. And he didn't tell anybody about that treasure because it, it was valuable, more valuable than anything he's ever come across in his life. So he quickly went home and he sold everything he had. He sold everything he had. And he went and he purchased that field because it had that valuable treasure in it. And Jesus says the man had a belief and he coupled that belief with faith and he went all in. And you know what Jesus is teaching us in that simple parable is? When you have a belief in something, faith is going all in. You can't just have partial faith, but complete faith. And Jesus is saying, when you come to me, you have complete faith that I saved you from your sins. You have complete faith that I've completely paid your sin debt off. And once you believe that that grace is free, but it's costly, well, you have now the power to accept it or reject it. And if you accept it, and you have that belief that God loves you and accepts you, then the next step is for you to have faith. Believe it and act out on it and make a step. And you're saying, well, what is that step? Well, Jesus taught when that, faith, when that belief turns to faith, it looks like something. As a matter of fact, he talked about, talked about it in Mark chapter 16. He said, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And you see the action step there? There's belief with baptism. And baptism is this action of faith that we step out and say, God, I believe you love and accept me. Now I'm going to step out on faith. For many of us, that's our first step of faith, stepping out to be baptized. But I want you to check out the second sentence there. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. You know what that teaches me? You can't have faith without belief. 
You see, some of you are in this room and you consider yourself saved because you went through an action of baptism, but you don't have the belief that Jesus really saves you. As a matter of fact, some of you in this room, you're counting on your good works to save you. And you know what I'd say? You just got wet then because you have to have belief and faith to be saved. The two must be coupled together. You need to believe in Jesus for salvation, not what you did in the baptistry. You see, your baptism was a step of faith. It was an act of faith, an act of trust, saying, God, I trust what you did on the cross was for me. So grace is free. Grace is received by faith. And grace is available for everyone. You know, I think there's times in this congregation where we just forget that we are a congregation made up of worshipers and a congregation made up of doubters. That the people in this room have all sorts of level of spiritual temperaments. There are people that are committed to Christ. There are people that are casual about their faith in Christ. There are people here in this room that are callous towards Christ. And there are people here that are just flat out critics of Christ. And wherever you are, whoever you are, grace is available for you. This is not a place that's going to look down our nose at you because of something you've done or something you're doing because you're far off from God. You know, just last week I was approached by someone by a man, and he said, hey, uh, why are there cigarette buds all around the front of our entrance here of the church? And I said, well, because someone was smoking before they came in church, and they just threw them on the ground. I didn't know what to say, and I thought then he was going to wax negative and, and get, you know, like, well, we don't need any of them here kind of thing. No, this was so awesome, so, so refreshing. He said, you know, before I, I came to Christ, I used to smoke And after I was baptized into Christ, I finally discovered the power to quit that. We need to have some trash cans with some ashtrays at the front doors. I love that. Some of you are like, I hate that. I hate that. You know why I love that? Because it's a recognition that this church isn't just for the saint. That this church isn't just for the self-righteous. That this isn't a church just for church people. You see, the self-righteous think that you've got to be at my level of faith in order to be saved. And I'm saying to you who are self-righteous, don't look down your nose at somebody else who sins differently than you do. We're all at a different place. We're all at a different stage. We're all at a different walk in our faith journey with Christ. Some are being transformed quicker than others. Some are allowing Christ to be transforming in them quicker than others. Some of you are, are faking the transformation. And that's called hypocritical. The Pharisees were that way. They said God's doing something good on the inside of them, but God was doing nothing on the inside of them. They were just showing their outward deeds, and they were called self-righteous. Grace is available for everyone. Here's how the scripture says it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. You're going to call on Jesus, you're going to be saved. And so that tells me you come to Jesus as you are, and you're changed by who he is. You come to him as you are, and you're changed by who he is. Grace is for everyone. Now let's get quick as, as we close out here. Grace comes only through Jesus. Grace comes only through Christ. He's the only one who has paid your sin debt. You can't pay it. Mohammed didn't pay it. Confucius didn't pay it. Mother Teresa didn't pay it. The Pope didn't pay it. Uh, Joyce Myers hasn't paid your sin debt. I haven't paid it for you. You haven't paid it for yourself. Only Jesus can pay for our sin debt. And you're going, well, that's pretty narrow-minded, that the only way to God is through Jesus. Yeah, it is narrow-minded. It's just as narrow-minded as believing that there's only road that, one road you can take to get to this building. That's, that, in that narrow-minded thing, you can't take Highway 50 to get here. You've got to at least get off of 50 and get on 57, don't you? 
right? That's pretty narrow-minded thinking that all roads don't lead to Bethany. They don't. And all roads don't lead to Jesus either. As a matter of fact, Jesus doubled down on that when he said these words in John 14. I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the light. Like, there's no other way, Jesus? No, no other. There's, there's just no other way. I'm the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus just says, listen, there's no other, there's no other way to get grace but through Jesus. And it's free. So how do you accept God's grace? How do you accept God's grace? Through Jesus Christ. Here's the, here's the greatest part about grace. It extends into eternity. It extends through eternity. Like Jesus has covered your sins, your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. So like if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a believer today, and you, you've, you've, you've stepped out into faith, and you were baptized into Christ, right? You're saying, I've accepted Christ's sacrifice, that God loves and accepts me. I accept the forgiveness of sins. You don't have to worry about your yesterdays. You don't have to worry about your today. And you don't have to worry about your tomorrows either. You've trusted in Jesus. You don't need to be concerned about your salvation. You now need to go and live free. You need to live for God. You need to love God and love other people. And some of you are like, well, now doesn't that give me like the freedom to sin? I've been forgiven. I've been set free. No, it doesn't. Grace doesn't free you to sin. Grace frees you from sin. It disconnects you from it. It doesn't allow you to hold on to it. And here's the results. Here's the results we're after. Uh, and here's the results Paul was after with the Galatians. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Okay? Grace, receive it by receiving Jesus. You're received by God. It teaches us to say no. What does grace do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Grace teaches you. You see that? Grace teaches you. And some of you are like trying to correct your behavior on your own. And God says, no, 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 you're going to need grace in order for that to happen. Like there's not enough slapping of the hand you can do. There's not enough discipline of your body you can do. There's not enough harming of your body that you can do. Jesus says you're going to have to learn some things by experiencing grace just by receiving grace because it teaches us to say no to some ungodliness. And that's, that's where the obedience comes. That's where the love of God and love of others comes. When you, when you just rest in grace, it teaches you no more ungodliness. It teaches us to come back to the, the motivation of loving God and loving others. And living for God is not about a want to, or a not to, or a, a have to. It's about a want to. God, I want to do this for you. And when you start living in grace, Christianity becomes more about a relationship and less about just merely pleasing God through religion. And today, here's what I'm asking you. I'm inviting you to step out with that belief that you have that God loves you and accepts you. To step out into grace that's come through Jesus Christ and to experience that grace that Christ can offer you. And so I want to bow and pray, and then we're going to have a time where you can step out and give your life over to Jesus through baptism. Father, we're thankful for what you've done through Jesus. And as we've heard this life-giving message that Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, may we recognize that there's nothing left on the table for us to pay. But just to say thank you and to rest in the salvation. And may our motivation for obeying you and our motivation for serving you and others come from the gratitude that we have 
for the grace that you've shown to us. For those in this room today that have a belief that you love and accept them but haven't stepped out on faith, may they do that today. May they follow through and connect belief and faith together. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.